Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour Voices, a special series on the Mom Hour showcasing diverse voices from across the motherhood community. I'm Sarah Powers coming to you in early August 2022 with a conversation about kids and technology, specifically the learning that happens as kids start to navigate their own personal devices like phones. If you have felt stressed or worried about your child getting a smartphone or even a dumb phone or a smart watch or even just using an old tablet to chat with grandma, this episode is for you. My guest today is Katherine Perlman. Katherine is a social worker who's been helping kids and families navigate all kinds of challenges for more than 25 years. She's also a friend of mine in real life, which is so fun. You might have heard Katherine on the podcast a few years ago when she came on to talk about her book, Ignore It, and I'm so glad I got to have her back today. If you listen closely to my conversation with Katherine, I think you will actually hear my shoulders relax a little bit and like my breathing slow down. She's just so good at presenting information and facts in a way that empowers parents to build strong relationships with their kids, even as we navigate new and murky waters around digital devices. I personally am going to be making some changes or updates in our house this fall after talking with Catherine, and I'll keep you all posted on that. But this conversation was really impactful for me personally. Throughout today's episode, we'll be answering some of your great questions. So thank you to those of you who put your questions in our Facebook group to help shape this episode. And if you're ready to start having these conversations with your kids around first phones and digital responsibility, I highly recommend Catherine's book, First Phone. It's written for kids ages 8 to 14 in a style they can totally relate to. And speaking of 8 to 14-year-olds, I have a fun surprise for you. At the very end of today's episode, after the outro music and everything, stick around for a short conversation I had today with my own 9 and 12-year-olds. I asked them about phones, iPads, screen time, how strict they think I am as a digital parent, and more. It's very sweet and pretty funny, so I hope you enjoy that. Okay, let's dive into my conversation with Katherine Perlman. Hi, Katherine. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's been it's been too long in our personal friendship. And now here you are on the show. So I'm selfishly really happy we get to do this. Um, For those who haven't met you, you have been on the Mom Hour before. But for those who are new to you and your work, we just introduce yourself and um, also say how old your growing kids are. Sure. Um, My name is Catherine Perlman. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I've been working with kids and families for 25 years. I love kids. I have two kids. I have a 15 and a half year old boy, and I have an 18 year old girl who's going to be 19 this weekend. And she's already flown, right? She's finishing up her freshman year of college. That's right. Yeah, she finished her first year. Oh, my gosh. So crazy. Well, um, we're talking today about first phones primarily and kind of digital responsibility and a lot of the parenting milestones that come along with technology. A lot of our audience uh, does not have 15 and 18 year olds, but has like five and eight year olds. So we have a very um, 
I'm like picturing all these moms out there, like sitting up a little straighter and like taking notes because this, <laughs> this is a topic around which there's a lot of fear. And I'm hoping that we can calm some of those fears today through talking about your book and just um, giving some perspective to moms so that they can walk away knowing they don't have to know every app and every potential danger if they have some basic tools and skills they can give to their kids. Would you agree with that? Can we can we help talk people off the ledge? Yes, we can. I mean, I think if we kind of change the way we think about digital education, I think that can make people feel a little bit more comfortable. We're never going to know everything, but we have to kind of make a commitment that we're going to keep learning for the rest of our lives. Adults too, there are new scams, there are new apps, there are new updates and technologies, and we're all constantly learning. So I think that takes some of the pressure off having to know everything up front. Right. And also probably takes some of the pressure off for knowing when exactly your kid is ready for their first phone. We got a lot of questions about that because I would imagine like, it's not like, oh, ding, like, like the microwave goes off and like it's ready. And now you hand them the phone and then we're done. It, whether the phone comes out at age nine or age 14, that, that ongoing learning is going to keep happening even after the device is in their hot little hands, right? For sure. And, you know, the thing is, it's not really so much anymore about when your kid gets their first smartphone because they have iPads, you know, yes. long before that. And even if they're not on an iPad and they're not on a phone, I guarantee that their friend at school is or on a play date or their older sibling. Th these kids all have access long before they have their own device. Um, so I think it's the kind of thing where we need to start thinking about it like we do sex ed, like a little bit at a time mm -hmm. from early, you know, from kindergarten. What are the basics that kids need to know at a young age to stay safe? And then how do we build on those concepts as they get older? Yeah, I love that approach. I'm so curious what um, drew you to write this particular book, because for the listener, Catherine and I have known each other personally for several years, and I like followed along closely when um, your parenting book, Ignore It, came out. But through the pandemic and my move back up to Santa Barbara, we just haven't really like seen each other as much. And so when you said this book is coming out, I was like, oh, my gosh, I need the backstory. So for my own curiosity, like how did this become book number two for you? So it kind of uh, a couple things came together at one time. First of all, I was noticing that kids were very often getting into something that parents didn't anticipate. So I would get a lot of calls and a lot of feedback that, oops, my child uh, saw, saw porn. They ordered something on Amazon or they oh. saw something very scary that they, um, you know, disturbed them. And yeah. so um, and these were from conscientious parents who are loving, some very tech savvy, and it was happening yeah. to them. And then the other thing that happened was a pandemic where, mm -hmm. you know, prior to the pandemic, we would have screen time and we were pretty good as parents, you know, trying to limit screen time in general for however that meant in your home. But, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours, we, we, we managed. Right. Um, then the pandemic came and kids were on, on Zoom for school eight hours a day, then they were yeah. socializing on their computers and then they were doing homework on their computers. My son was literally on his computer for 12 hours plus a day. Oh my gosh. Um, and in social media, like my son started on discord because that's how he was communicating with his friends. Even kids in elementary school were in Google chats and all of a sudden they didn't get any lessons about etiquette, about how to talk to people, about social cues, about what to say, what not to say, how to stay safe. All these things, um, you know, it just came to a head at one time. And I thought, OK, we need a book for kids that they can read for themselves so that even when their parents aren't around, they can make good decisions. Well, we are all so glad that those things came together and that this was the book that you that, you know, that was right for you at that moment. And it is written for kids. So talk a little bit about that. Um, and just for for those listening, I read it myself as a parent and I loved it. And I also could see a parent and child reading it together, reading it aloud, maybe to a seven or eight year old who's starting to get on those personal devices and maybe isn't even on their first phone yet. But talk about the decision to really address kids directly um, in your book. Well, I felt like there were lots of excellent books for parents but then parents still have to implement. And that's tricky. We're really busy and it's hard to know exactly how to do it. And so I felt like it was, again, like puberty. It's like we as parents, we need help. We need tools 
to discuss these yeah. things with our kids. And so I really wanted a book that would be on kids level. Again, that wasn't only just like a parent talking to kids again about how to stay safe. They kind of can tune that out. But here there were, you know, it's written in some of it is my voice as a professional expert, but then it's also these five kids that I created that can speak directly to kids about the ups and downs and the real life experiences that they have um, with their smartphones. And so it was, I felt like it was something that was just really missing and it's written for kids, but to me, it feels like a gift and a tool for parents. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, And I really think that some of the language you give that's so approachable and not scary, both for parents and kids would really make it a great like read aloud almost or read together. So I think that was such a smart approach. Um, And I also just want to say it's very uh, tech positive. I don't even know if I'm using that might be lingo that I don't even know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't feel um, fear based and it doesn't the, the five kids you mentioned. So these kind of characters you create who, you know, have their own experiences and voices and range in ages. Um, nobody's like saying put away the smartphone or delay the smartphone forever. We're just saying, how do we live with this technology and integrate it into our lives so we can be healthy, happy kids? So I- Sarah, our sponsor, Vionic, is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out. (laughs) And their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first mani system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. I love that. All right, Catherine, let's dive into some of these listener questions. And like the giant elephant in the room here when we're talking about a first smartphone is when, how old, um, and if it's not a fixed age, what else are we looking for in a kid who may or may not? be ready for their first phone. You already kind of alluded to this earlier, but we know kids are experiencing the internet and technology well before their first smartphone. But I would imagine there is still a difference in, I know for my older two, my 14 and 12, there's still a difference um, when that smaller pocket-sized device that's really tied to them uh, enters the picture, even if they have had an iPad and even if they are pretty tech-savvy. So What are we looking at when we think about when a kid is ready for that true first phone? So average around the country, kids are getting their phone between eight and 11, believe it or not. That's not all kids, but that's the average. And really, there are some very good reasons why younger kids might actually need a phone. So I think it's good to think about what is the need. Um, Maybe there are divorced parents. Maybe someone's in the military. Um, There are life-saving apps that can be on the phone. 
Um, you know, maybe a kid is home alone after school for a short period of time. So those are need issues. And I think, you know, assessing the need is good. If it's there, you can start a little earlier. I love to ask parents, what's your, your kid currently like when you ask them to put away their screen? You know, so mm-hmm. how, how, um, willing are they to say, oh yeah, sure. Let me put it away. Or is it a struggle every single day, every single time? If that's the case, I would kind of work on that first before you get the phone, which is going to be even harder to get them to put down. So, you know, what's their behavior around screens? What's their responsibility level? How well do they take care of their things? You know, that's kind of a good sign that they might be ready. Um, And also uh, parents don't want to hear this, but what are their friends doing? And, you know, some communities, all of the nine and 10 year olds have phones and that is how they socialize and communicate. And if your kid doesn't, sadly, that is actually socially difficult for them. It's not just yeah. saying, oh, you, you'll be fine. It actually can be difficult, especially if your kids struggle socially. So that is something to also think about. Wow, that is um, such a helpful framework, I think. Um, and it is also more complicated than just like, oh, in our house, like you don't get your first phone till you're 12 or whatever. I could see even in a house of multiple kids Uh, making a different decision for each kid. Did you find that with your two, that your decision, the decision tree looked different um, with your older versus your younger? It's funny. Both my kids got their phones when they went into sixth grade. So they were 11. Um, So it was the same, but my kids use their phones completely differently. My son, it's, it barely exists. Um, Mm -hmm. And my daughter was attached. Um, And I think for her, it was socially very beneficial. It helped her relate to other kids. And for my son, it was, you know, he could have waited. It was more for me that he got it. So it was really interesting to see two kids relate to their phones so differently. Well, and it also um, is a reminder to me, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but like, it feels like a decision where like, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I understand it, it would be hard to like take a phone completely away, but it is a good reminder that like, sometimes as parents, we we make the best decision we can and we may let the leash out a little too long, too quickly and have to rein in something with the phone. Um, is that something you see in families who are giving phones to younger kids that they're like, oh, whoops, that was too much too soon. And now we have to backpedal a little bit. I think I see that a little bit with young kids, although I think parents are a little bit more careful with the young kids. Right. What I see the most is that parents made the mistake of letting kids have their phone in their bedrooms at night. Like, oh, they plug it in at night and they use it for their alarm clock. No big deal. Um, And then when they realize actually, oops, that was a pretty big mistake. They think, oh, I can't change that. And I say it might be a little bit harder, but you absolutely can make that change as a parent. Um, So no matter what mistake you make as a parent, just like for kids, there is a remedy. You know, it might not be a fun time while your kid adjusts to the new rules, but you can absolutely say, I've made a mistake. You have too much access. We need to tone it down. Yeah. I, um, I have some personal experience in that regard and we're all just learning. So I think that's, I think that's great to hear. So let's go back to the, the littler ones that we've been kind of referencing these pre cell phone elementary school aged kids. We have a question from a listener, Kate, And she says, my daughter is eight and she does not currently have a need for a phone. That said, I want to take steps to foster safe and responsible use in the future. What are some ways parents can help build build digital citizenship before a child has their own phone? So I thought that was a great question. Um, And what would you tell families of like, let's say five to nine year olds? So I think there's a lot you can do ahead of time and, and a little at a time. First, to explain how the Internet is filled with this wonderful information, but it's not all true. It's not all safe. It's not all something that we want to see and sort of talk about smart clicking and smart Googling, because, again, even before phones, kids are doing this even for school. Um, We can for sure talk about predators, just like we do stranger danger, um, that not everyone on the Internet is friendly. And again, you can do this in an age appropriate way, just as you would. Um, with, you know, a five and six year old about, you know, being careful if they, you know, are in a dangerous situation or how to ask for help. That's something we would still do um, in terms of the digital safety. You know, I just want parents to be able to have open communication with their kids around these issues because there's going to be a million mistakes. And so letting your kid know, I promise you, you're going to make a mistake and 
that is okay. Like we are going to try and prevent what we can and keep you safe. But if you make a mistake, let your kid know that I'm going to remain calm and I'm going to help you through it. And that's okay. I make mistakes too. But I think all of that can be done ahead of time so that you've now fostered this open communication. Kids like expect to talk to you just like they do about their day at school. They expect to talk to you about what they're doing digitally online. And then the other thing is parents sometimes give kids screens as like their parenting break. And I have all the empathy in the world for parents. This is a super hard gig. Yeah. But, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I do think spending some time online with your kids is really beneficial. Mm-hmm. So just to find out what they're interested in, what they're exposed to, you know, just even if they're on YouTube and then like, what are the suggested videos that kind of come yes. up? Same thing if they're watching TikToks and they're doing it right next to you, but you're not really paying attention. What are, what's suggested for them? I think that's really instructive. And also, you know, then it doesn't seem like this is something kids do alone, but away from their parents. It's something they can enjoy with their parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, Megan and I had a recent episode where we reflected back on things we were glad we did and things we wish we'd done different as it related to kids and tech. And it wasn't just about phones, but all of Mm -hmm. technology. Um, And that was one of the things I said I was glad we did. Not that I can take full credit. It was kind of an accident. But Brian and I are both pretty tech techie ourselves. And we have just made like sharing funny videos and watching things together and like Googling things and looking stuff Mm up a relatively open family affair from the beginning. And now our 14 year old sends us TikToks and, you know, we like share, we have like a family group chat. And so I am, I'm glad that we accidentally happened into that um, because I was nodding along. I agree. I think that there's, it's not like there's like a lot of like lectures that happen from that, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of modeling maybe. Yeah. And just also enjoying their kids world with them. I mean, I think, you know, we want to be able to enjoy our kids as they continue to grow. And that's a little bit easier to engage with them when they're younger, yep. but as they grow into the teen years, you know, they distance themselves. So, and what they're doing is online. So yeah. the more you can kind of get in their world and enjoy it with them, you know, like just as you would take your kid to a concert that they love, even if you don't love it because you know that your kid would like it and you want to spend time with them. It's the same with this things they do online. I mean, I literally nod off when my daughter is talking to me about TikTok sometimes, but <laughs> I still think it's important that, and it's great that she wants to share it with me. Yes, I agree. I agree. I love that. Well, for our listeners who do have, you know, really little kids, um, I think that there's some very approachable takeaways in there. You do, it doesn't ha- you don't have to be thinking ahead to, oh, my gosh, it's going to be so scary when my kid gets a phone, because it's very likely that a lot of these skills you're, you're already building right now, even in those younger years. Um, let's talk about something you mentioned earlier, which is the peer group and the like the social pressure to have all the kids kind of on the same level when it comes to phone and devices. Aaron asked, how do you handle the disappointment of your child not having a phone when all their friends do? So I think parents' inclination is to explain all the reasons why Mm -hmm. you're not getting your kid the phone and that just makes your kid feel worse and that you don't understand them. And so I would definitely lead with empathy. That doesn't mean you have to get the phone, but also doesn't mean you have to lecture and explain just to say, like, I know that this is really hard for you. You know, what are maybe some other ways we could moderate this disappointment? You know, um, maybe we could use FaceTime on the iPad when I'm there, or maybe we could, you know, there's things that you can do to lessen the blow a little bit, but also to just say, I get that this is really hard and I'm sorry that we have to make this decision in our house, but you know, I appreciate that this is really hard for you. Um, so I think that, and then, um, realizing it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I think that finding out more from your kid, what is it exactly they want to do that their friends are doing? And you might be able to accommodate that, you know, um, that might be possible without them having a phone. So that's something to do. Um, and then there's a lot of, um, baby phones, you know, that are like gab phone or something where it's like, you know, they can begin texting just a few people like a grandparent or um, a parent. And that's actually, you know, they're very, very limited phones. And I'm not saying that I would recommend that for everyone, but it's like a great entry. If your kid is really feeling left out, it's, it's, it might be a good way to start that you can monitor them and a very slow rollout. Yeah. Yeah. I love those ideas. And I was like, so amening over here when you were talking about um, 
finding out exactly what it is that they want to do. That has happened to me so many times in parenting where it's like, wait, hold on. Let's like, let's unpack these layers a little bit because I'm saying no to something and you're hearing no, but I'm not sure we're actually talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. I can think of that with like sleepovers, for example, or, um, I don't know, like clothing choices or like, Mm -hmm. it's like, tell me more, tell me more about that is like my go-to parenting phrase. Like, tell me more about, um, what exactly you want. And so I think that is so smart with technology because it may be, it's, you're exactly right. It may be that we can accommodate that and that we're having this like kind of binary conversation. Yes. Phone, no phone. But in fact, we're on the same page, um, parent and child. So I love that. And also, Aaron, just to validate, like, it really stinks when you have to disappoint your child and hold one of those boundaries. But I would say if it's important to you, like that disappointment is that's a valid experience for your child. And like you staying true to what feels right for your family is also a valid experience. So sometimes it's just like, yeah, this is disappointing. This stinks. I also wanted to add, my kid was the only kid who had to put her phone away at 10 o'clock and it slept downstairs while she slept upstairs. Um, I am sure she's the only one of her friends where that was the case. And the same is for my son. Their phones go off all night long and they're sleeping peacefully in their beds. And because I made that a non-negotiable, they didn't even fight it after the very beginning. It was just accepted. And I felt like, I'm sorry that everyone else is doing that, but sometimes we have to do what's right for our family. And- feel good about that. And then sometimes kids actually, after the fact, they're like, I actually kind of like that. You know, that I didn't enjoy it at the time. And I complained a lot, but that actually was something that I can agree with. And I think that that was useful. So that applies for like all things we try and implement as parents that sometimes all the kids are doing something and we're just not, um, but that's okay. Well, okay. I totally agree with that. And I'm going to add one more thing, which is don't take at face value what your kid says everyone else is doing because I have also like, there are certain areas of parenting where I'm uh, much more on the cautious side and others where I'm like completely the opposite. But whenever I hear that, like my kid is the last or the only, um, if I don't know those other families and know exactly, I'm just a little suspicious because there have been times where I've found like, Oh, that family actually does have like a pretty strict set of rules. Like, yeah, maybe the kid does have a phone because to your point, Catherine, there's a divorce family or, um, Violet's little friend is type one diabetic and like got a phone yep. at nine and like, you never know what's going on, but that also doesn't mean that that house is like a, a free for all with technology. So, and, uh, um, my, the kids reporting is not a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> Good point. Oh my goodness. Well, um, we have one more question before the break and then, uh, after the break, we're really going to dig into like some of these, like now the kid has a phone now what, but before we go to break, Um, Monica brought up the question of contracts that she's heard about kids sign with their parents, like an agreement of the rules and expectations. Um, You have a contract in the back of the new book, and you've also generously given us one that we can include in the show notes. So if, if listeners aren't familiar, what is a cell phone contract? And then what are some best practices around that? Because again, I'm going to guess that it's not as simple as like, here, honey, I printed this off the internet. Like, (laughs) Now we're done with cell phone parenting. So what is it and and how do you see it being implemented really well? So a cell phone contract is basically just a shared um, expectations and understanding about how we're going to relate to this phone and what are our rules for this house and everybody's going to sign off and agree upon it. And it isn't really the end all be all. It certainly is a living document and should change. But I think what's really good about it is it starts the phone, uh, it starts kids with phones with a common understanding and opens up the discussion. So it's Mm. like, I put this contract together and I say, it's, these are suggested items. Parents can absolutely talk to their kids and say, you know what, this might not work for us. Or what are your thoughts on this? This should be a discussion. And that should be the beginning of many discussions. So what should be in the, in the contract is really like, how are we going to relate about etiquette? So like, when are we going to use a phone? When are we going to put it down? How are we going to be kind online? Um, Health and safety guidelines, like that we should spend time away from our phone and like our self-care and um, where we're going to charge it about sexting, things like that. Privacy concerns about I'm not going to share information. And here's where I think, you know, parents should really spell out what information are we not going to share? And um, 
How are we going to communicate mistakes? And at the end of the contract, I really put in there what parents are going to agree to do. And that is yeah. to not freak out, to stay non-judgmental, because I think, you know, it's very hard for parents who experience a very different childhood, even if they're young parents, like it's just very different. And um, some of the things that our kids go through are very normal for them and very horrifying for us. And yeah. so we want to just maintain the open communication. That is like my goal for parents to be able to like have a relationship with their kids where they are really communicating. And Sarah, our sponsor Haya is back on the show today. And I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the high vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, Catherine, I loved this question from our listener, Lindsay. Um, she wrote, how does a progression to independence look with a first phone? So if we start out more restrictive and then move towards more independence, like less monitoring, et cetera, what does that timeline and progression look like in an ideal world? So first of all, just Lindsay, I love the way you're thinking of this. And Catherine, I'm sure it does not look the same for every kid and every family, especially because it it starts with like how young is the kid when they even get their first phone. But can you talk about that progression to independence with things like, you know, how involved a parent is in what the kid is doing on their phone and how much like autonomy and privacy the kid has by the time they're 17, say it's it. It's not um, it's, it's obviously like going to be a, a gradual progression. Yeah, I love this question, too. So. The younger the kid the more supervision, obviously, and the older the kid, the less supervision. I would say just as a general rule, um, 8 to 12, 13, that's full supervision. That means there's no expectation of privacy. Your kid knows you'll be in their phone when they're there, when they're also not there. Um, and the whole idea is to guide and educate and not to punish, but um, full supervision. And then a little bit lighter supervision, 13, 14, give them a little bit of free reign. And that's when you might see some things come up and that's actually a good thing. Then you can, again, educate and redirect. And then I would say 15, 16 years old, your kids should really have um, privacy with their phone for a variety of reasons. First of all, as a parent, you cannot unsee something that your kid has on their phone. And there is a lot of very normal chatter among friends <laughs> that are 15 and 16 that is really not comfortable for parents to see. And um, I don't want it to impede on relationships. And I think that's sort of where that's headed when you get involved. Unless, again, you have a kid that's um, you have a very serious concern about, you know, or there's really something going on where you feel you need to check. But otherwise, I think that they should have privacy. And I also think, as you mentioned, it's so true that this is very specific kid dependent. There are some kids that, first of all, aren't doing very much that, um, don't really have a lot of risky behaviors in general, yeah. um, aren't really ahead of the curve. They're sort of more mature and not really doing much. And then there are some kids that either it's their friend group or it's just because of temperament, or maybe they have ADHD and they tend towards impulsive behavior. Those kids might need more supervision for longer. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about any other type of um, gradual progression toward independence. And when I'm listening to you talk, it sounds so similar. I mean, if we're like using the example of like riding a bike around the neighborhood, first of all, it's not, not every eight-year-old is cut exactly the same. So some are going to need more guidance. Obviously you're not just going to hand them a bike and a helmet and tell them that they have free reign. You're going to like show them how to get back home and remind them where the friendly neighbor lives and like all of that. So it's for some reason we get so amped up as parents about digital and tech stuff because it is so scary and unfamiliar. But really, would you agree that like we're parents are already guiding these kinds of like journeys toward independence in other areas of life, right? Very much so. And I kind of just wanted to make two comments on that. One is just because you're not in your kid's phone doesn't mean the digital education stops. Like at that point, that's when you use what's on the news, something you read about, Um, you know, there's a great documentary that just came out. Um, so that's, your kid is still subject to education, but they also get privacy on their phone. So I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, we are as parents used to a certain level of helicoptering, and I don't even use that as a pejorative term anymore. It is what is the lifestyle we have with our kids. We're hyper involved Uh in our kids. And that's, that's actually great for so many reasons. But that we have this expectation that we're going to know where they are all the time and that we're going to know what they're doing and who they're with. And I think that actually impedes their growing independence in a lot of ways. And I'll give an example. I mean, my daughter's in college and she'll call and say, should I have a burrito for breakfast? (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is not a call I need to be having. You know, where have I failed? And I know where I failed, which is answering the phone constantly, being very available monitoring my kids all the time. And so I think when kids get to be 15, 16, our parenting must change in a variety of ways to foster that independence and dealing with their phone is one important way. And also how connected we are. You know, if, if my kid calls me, if unless they're calling and it's like, there's text, if it's an emergency, they're like, I'm calling, I'm texting, pick up. I need to talk to you. Otherwise it can probably wait. You know, they don't need this constant connection. And I think that that's actually really important for independence, because if they don't have it, they might figure out whether or not they should have the burrito. Yeah, they might just be able to make a breakfast decision on their own. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. That's so funny. That's so funny. Um, well, this leads right into something that we we have to discuss, and that is the prevalence of really high surveillance tools for parents. And I think they're probably geared toward parents of younger kids. I, I would hope not of 15 and 16 year olds. But there, we did have several listeners ask, what do you think, Catherine, about keystroke monitoring apps and other digital surveillance tools? How can we balance? This was a, one of our listeners said this specifically. How can we balance protecting kids with giving them some privacy and autonomy as they get older? Now, you've, you've just really made the case for autonomy as they get older. But I am curious what you learned in your research about some of the surveillance tools maybe that parents are utilizing in that high supervision uh, phase you talked about, like the eight to 12? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think when the kids are younger, getting their texts, you know, um, we used to get my daughter's texts and she knew um, just so she could be aware. Um, I only like surveillance when it's upfront and kids know that they're being monitored. And on one hand, you might say, well, you're not going to get any honest, you know, information about what's going on. Well, really, it's a safety precaution so that we're there to help them learn as they go. Um, but I also think there's nothing that damages a relationship more than not telling a kid something. And inevitably, you see something and then you have to tell them that right. you've been watching. And that yeah. is very damaging. I don't like that. Um, and again, if you take the attitude of um, I'm not being punitive, I am being instructive and this is something we're doing together, I think that's okay. Um, I also don't love like the Life 360 or those things where they're following their kids all the time um, for the same relationship reason, unless there's something specific with your kid where there's an absolute need or reason or concern. Um, But I think, you know, as the kids are younger and it's still learning, you can do those um, monitoring and you can also just get in their phone, you know? Yeah. The other thing is that kids get very smart about doing something that you can't see. So maybe they're signing up for social media on their kids, on their friend's phone. 
um, mm -hmm. or on the internet. You know, they're doing it on the computer. So you can't see the app on their phone and you don't even know they have a social media account. So kids are very smart, especially when they think their parents are um, spying. Yes. Okay. So Megan and I just uh, took a listener question. Uh, I think in podcast land, it was like a week and a half ago about a first phone. And we kind of fumbled through our own like mom answers on it. And then now we are have you here as the expert. But we had this discussion and two things that I well, first of all, a lot of what we said, I think, is similar to what you're saying. But one thing I want to really underscore is I have a tendency to my kids right now are nine, 12 and 14. And I have a tendency to like think, well, I've got to have these house rules that like in our family values that are like one and the same. And I'm just listening to you. I'm reminded like when we're talking about surveillance or monitoring or just looking at your kid's phone, it's so different with a nine or 10 year old than it is with a 14 or 15 year old. And I, I'm not sure that even came through when Megan and I talked about it like a week and a half ago, but we talked about exactly what you just said, which is when kids, uh, when they, they will be secretive. The older ones especially are smarter than we are. That's exactly what Megan said. And they will find ways to do what you don't want them to do if they feel that they're being watched. The younger ones, on the other hand, in my experience, haven't really cared that I'm going to just be looking at their texts as they come through. I don't personally use any kind of a third party tool. My kids' devices live in the main part of the house anyway, and I just tell them when they're young. And I mean, you know, again, my oldest is just kind of graduating into that more independent stage. But I've just told them, like, if something comes through and it pops up on your phone, I, you know, I have the right to look at it. If I'm concerned, I really have the right to look and I'll always tell you and ask you questions. And all this to say the the age of the kid, it makes a significant difference when we're talking about that supervision and monitoring. It's it's night and day when we're talking about a 10 versus a 15. Yeah, I think in general, parents sometimes forget to shift the way they parent yes, yes. at 14, 15. And I think that's why a lot of teens stop talking, stop spending time with their parents um, because their parents are still trying to parent them like they're eight and being very involved um, and very hands-on. And I think that's uncomfortable for teenagers. But that shift is so important because again, as our goal as parents is to raise these kids to be healthy, you know, humans that go out into the world, we have to kind of shift a little bit, which is very hard and uncomfortable, but it's important. Well, I need you. I need um, like subscription to Catherine right now <laughs> in my <laughs> parenting life. Um, okay. Well, speaking of teenagers, Kristen sent in a question about social media. And I, I will just preface with in the book, you talk about social media. You're not afraid to talk about it, even though the book is very like younger kid appropriate. And I think most eight and nine year olds are not getting on social media. But I love that you talk directly to kids about social media, what it is, what the benefits can be. Um, so that's just a little plug for the book. Those of you listening, there's quite a bit about um, social media pros and cons in the book. But Kristen asks, what age do you think and how how can I help guide my kids safely and healthily through this minefield? She says, I feel like so many say just don't allow it at all, but I'm looking for advice on how to help them develop a healthy relationship with it that will serve them well as an adult. So again, I love I love the way Kristen phrased this question, that it's not just delay, delay, delay forever, but eventually it's going to be a part of your kid's life. So then what? I love this question, too, because I think a lot of parents do think, let me delay. But you know what? Their kids are already on social media. For example, YouTube is a social media. There yep. are likes, shares, comments. That is a social media. Um, and I think that if we just kind of pretend like it doesn't exist there, even, you know, the other thing is, too, it used to be you needed an app. Now you don't need an app. You just need a computer. So you can still see all the same things on the computer, uh, even if you don't have your own account. And so yeah. I think it's important for parents to think about educating their kids and maybe starting with one small thing. And even if it is just YouTube, uh, where they can kind of discuss the topics of social media and what they need to know, start small, you know, start with one kind of social media, whatever age you decide, and then do it with your kid. My daughter started Instagram. That was her first platform. And we would literally sit next to each other and scroll through and also she was learning about what to post and what to comment and how to comment. And we did that together. And honestly, I tried really hard to ma manage my tone and um, how I was talking to her. And she was really receptive because of that, at least that worked for us. But I think, you know, pick something 
and mm-hmm. do it with your kid. It might be TikTok. It might be Discord. My son doesn't do any other social media, but he's on Discord a lot. But he does it in the main part of the house. And actually, it's kind of adorable hearing him on there with his friends. Um, you know, but they're not all his friends. There are people on there that he doesn't know. And so that's a good time for me to remind him. Remember, even if this person has been in this group for two years, you don't know the age of this person. You don't know who they are and they are not your friend in real life and what that means about sharing information. So I agree with Kristen um, that we shouldn't just delay, delay, delay and, you know, start small, supervise, discuss and then grow. That's the best way. I think that's so smart. And I love the idea of picking one. I don't know why. Like, I I think we have this idea that like, Welp, they turn 13 and like that's like a, a a bunch of those little gates open, you know, like a bunch of doors open and then yeah. um, then it's like free reign. So that's it ended up kind of being the way we have done it, too. But I, I like being intentional, perhaps even younger than you think you're ready for it, but doing it together like that. Um, what is Discord, Catherine? I don't even know what that is. So Discord is something that started, I think, for like mostly gamers and they talk within games and they're also it's kind of like chat rooms um yeah okay. i didn't know what it was until the pandemic either okay okay um uh, kind of a follow up when you were talking about um like experiencing instagram with your daughter in the beginning um how do you talk to parents about when the peer group is when other people's teens are making very different social media decisions about what to post. So it's one thing for Casey to learn what feels right for her to post and like how to be kind to her friends online. Did you ever encounter times when like you're seeing what the friends and the peer group is doing and their parents maybe have not taken the same approach and inwardly you're being like, oh my goodness. Um, Is there teachable moments in there or did you really just try not to judge? Um, I try not to judge uh, outwardly because I've learned that sometimes I'm off base, um, Mm -hmm. that I might think something is uh, a bit too much, but that's actually pretty normal for kids that age. I've learned to sort of say, um, you know, think about how does this represent you now? And is this something that will represent you in the future? Because something could be screenshot, it could be shared somewhere else. And then every time a job Googles you, that will come up. So it's just I want them to think critically about what for themselves is that they might want. And it's a great like uh, topic for discussion when I see something and inside I might be shaking my head like crazy. But I try to be very gentle about how I discuss it because, you know, that might be my child's best friend and they might actually think that looks great, but they don't feel comfortable doing it themselves. So I don't want to shame my own child in the process of shaming this other child. Yeah. So I just try and be, you know, ask open-ended questions. This is the best thing parents can do. We don't have all the answers. Ask open-ended questions and then we can learn from our children and then they feel like they're having a conversation with us instead of a lecture. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Um, well, Catherine, let's remind everybody a little bit more specifics about the book. We've talked about the fact that it's written um, in a way that kids themselves can read. W- or would you say like kids 8 to 12, 8 to 13 are the target for reading this book? I think 8 to 14, honestly. I had a 7-year-old read it and she loved it. Um, and I've had kids older have read it. I mean, my mom is reading it and my 102-year-old grandma is reading it. And every um, adult that reads it says... You know what? I actually learned something. So totally. even if a kid is older, I think the best thing to do is just leave the book out. You know, yes. you don't have to. If you have an older kid, you don't have to force feed it to them. A younger kid, I certainly would say, hey, I got this book. Maybe we'll read it together. Or you might even leave it out for your kid. And just next thing you know, they're like thumbing through their pre- nice cartoons. And, you know, it might yeah. get them them interested in it. But, yeah, I think it's it's even older kids can gain something. I agree. And yeah, talk about the illustrations and some of um, the formatting. So I'm holding it in my hand right now. So we've got these five um, sort of like kids that you invented, but they're characters basically who throughout the book share their own thoughts and feelings and experiences, including when like when they mess up. Some of my favorite parts were when like you talk about digital mistakes and clicking on something that open something scary and how the kid handled it. So um, was the part was like those comics and illustrations and that part, was that fun for you as a creator? Yeah. You know, I really wanted this book to look readable, like even before they actually read it, I wanted it to look fun and inviting. Um, And I was able to work with an illustrator who's actually a cartoonist. And so I gave him sort of 
instructions and ideas about like what I needed in terms of like the content. And he just ran with it and was funny and clever. And he put a dog in there. I was like, yes. (laughs) Um, So these kids all have like facial expressions and they're funny. And it's just, they seem real. Like I actually missed them when I was done with the book. It's so crazy. (laughs) They seem real to me. No, I I love it very much. It's available wherever books are sold. I'm sure we will link it up in the show notes. Where can listeners find you online? You are the family coach as your coaching business. And where else would you like to send people? Yeah, so um, the website is The Family Coach. And I do have a few downloads there for parents. Um, And then I'm at The Family Coach on Facebook and on Twitter. And The Family Coach says on Instagram. Well, um, Catherine, thank you so much for being here. The book is First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. I highly recommend it. And every time I talk to you, I'm just both inspired, but also really calmed down. And um, that is, that's kind of our goal here at the Mom Hour. So Catherine, thank you so much for spending time with us today. That's amazing. Thank you for having me again. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Everything Catherine and I talked about, including that free printable download with sample language to use in a cell phone contract, is in the show notes at themomhour.com slash voices78. You can also get those links right in your podcast player app where you're listening now. We'll also link up several other episodes we have done about tech and devices and parenting in this digital landscape. So check the show notes for sure. And stick around after the music plays and you'll hear my bonus conversation with special guests, Reed and Violet, my own tweens who have lots to say about first phones and digital responsibility. And then Megan and I will be back in your ears coming up on Tuesday of next week. Thank you so much for listening, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, as an extra little bonus going with today's episode, I am joined by a couple of preteens live and in the flesh. So I'm going to have them both introduce themselves. What's your name? I'm Violet. And Violet, how old are you? I'm nine years old. And what grade are you going into? I'm going into fourth grade. Okay. And I am also here with? Reed. And Reed, how old are you and what grade are you going into? I am 12 and going into seventh grade. So Catherine and I talked about um, kids getting their first phones in today's episode. So I thought we could talk a little bit about how that has worked in our family, I'll start with this question. Do you have a phone, Violet? No, I do not. I would love to have one, but sadly, I don't. Uh, do you have any kind of personal device? I do have an iPad. Okay, we'll get into what you do on that iPad in a minute. Reed, do you have a phone? I have an iPhone, but it does not function outside of Wi-Fi. Right. So what Reed has, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, is an old phone um, enabled with an iCloud account and a email accounts that you can text from, right, Reed? Mm-hmm. So he can text, group chat with some friends, um, FaceTime, listen to audiobooks and music. So for Reed, the next step will be to have a phone that actually has a cellular data account and can be used outside the home. That will probably be another year, most likely. Um, so what do you guys like to do on your digital devices? And we're talking especially today about, um, things that you do on a phone. So I'm not talking about like apps and games as much as things like, who do you like to talk to? What apps do you use to communicate? What's your favorite thing to do on your device, Violet? Um, I love to text my friends. Unfortunately, a lot of them are on vacation right now in different time zones. Now your friends are also nine. Do they have phones? Uh, One of them does, and the other just got a new iPad. So they're messaging on, like, iMessage, kind of like you are? Yes, they are. Okay. Are you in group chats with any of your friends? Not yet. I think that would be really fun, though. And, Reed, talk a little bit about your phone and what you do on it. Um, My phone is, like, an old iPhone 6, so it's really small and pretty slow. But I like to text my friends. I have a couple group chats with different friends and I text from friends individually. I really like to FaceTime with my friends and sometimes when I FaceTime with my friends, I play some online video games with them. Cool. So um, what Catherine and I talked about today is like how kids can go from like the stage you're in, Violet, 
all the way up through being completely independent where mom and dad aren't really involved in their phone use at all. And they, you know, have a lot of privacy and autonomy with their device. And like, what are kind of the steps to get there? Can you think of what that will look like when you're nine, when you're 12, when you're 14? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Like how to go from most supervision to least supervision? Um, my way of answering that would be, isn't that your job? <laughs> Am I getting a phone? Um, not today. What would you like to do more on your iPad? Um, I think a group chat with my friends would be really fun. And I know I'll probably do this like when I'm like a teenager, but um, I think like Instagram would be fun just to like look at. I like looking at funny animal videos, stuff like that. And sometimes we do that together on mom's phone, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was something Catherine Mostly and I dad, talked about. You don't do it. <laughs> so you sit with dad and watch funny Instagram videos. Yeah. Reed, what are some things do you think that you'd like to do on your phone in the next year or two that you're not currently allowed to do? Um, I would like to have my phone function outside of the home. That would be really great. I'd also like to get um, TikTok. So I wouldn't post on TikTok, but I'd probably look at a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So first social medias, that's something that Catherine and I talked about today too. So I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that you guys think I am slightly stricter than the average parent, but maybe not the most, most strict when it comes to phone and digital stuff. Would you agree or no? Um, I would agree. Yes. On the front of phones and social media and stuff like that on the front of amount of um, device usage and video gaming particularly, I think you are very strict. Okay, so that's a good clarification. Um, on what you're allowed to do, I'm strict medium, medi- strict light, and on how much you're on your device and how much autonomy you have to do it whenever you want, I'm strict extreme. Okay, Reed is nodding. Violet, would you agree with that? Um, well, you've always kind of said, because I mostly just watch TV shows, and you always say that that's different than playing video games, which I know is Reed's favorite thing to do. Yeah, so I'm maybe a little more so, permissive. Do you think it's maybe because you're also of. the youngest? Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely do very different things. Yeah. So I'd say you're medium strict with Okay. Do you guys ever talk with your friends about whose parents let them do what online or on their phones? Is that ever something that comes up? Like friends wish they had a phone and others don't, or my parents don't let me do this. Like, tell me a little bit about how those conversations go and you can keep things anonymous. You don't have to like, you can just talk in general. I think most of my friends have more freedom in all areas in device usage than I do. Most of my friends have phones that function outside of the house. And I'd say all of my friends are able to spend more time playing video games than me. So then how does that look? If you have to explain something, what do you say? Just my mom is strict. How does that conversation go? Um, I just say my mom doesn't let me play a lot of video games. And then they go, wah, wah. what about you, Violet? Because you're it's a little different. You are the youngest and your friends, a lot of your friends are oldest children. So I actually think you might have the loosiest goose in some ways compared to your friends. How does that work? I disagree. You do? Yeah. A lot of my friends do a lot more. What do they do? Like, uh, same as me, like movies and TV shows and, mm. you know. But what about texting and personal devices, like phones or pre-phones? Uh, I probably have more of like texting. Mm-hmm. Some of my friends just started texting. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your kid perspective today. Thanks, Violet. Thanks, Reed. Goodbye. Bye. Hi, everyone. Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening 
and leave the mom hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us. And it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple podcasts, you can navigate to the mom hours show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the mom hour just above the play button and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.